Welcome to Money in the Mind. Join Andy, a mental health therapist, and Aaron, an accountant, as they explore personal finance, psychology, and provide resources to help on your financial journey. Hello, and welcome to episode 10 of Money in the Mind, a financial health and mental health podcast. I'm Aaron, joined by my friend Andy. Andy, how are you? Good, Ron. How are you? Doing well. Today, we are talking about something called financial flashpoints. And just to give you a heads up, this episode will be heavy on trauma and all the ways in which it can affect us. And we'll specifically look at kind of financial trauma. But if that's a potentially tough subject for you, um, might bring up difficult things from your past, we want to just warn you in advance that we will be discussing those types of things in detail. So we want to give people just a little bit of a heads up. Yeah, absolutely. So really what we're talking about today is financial flashpoints, which in a sense are basically is basically financial trauma it is it, financial just to hop right into it a little bit what we'll be talking about is financial flashpoints are are oh my gosh man i'm not i'm not speaking well today uh financial flashpoints are basically events or a singular event that really shape and form how we view finances Yeah, a definition of a financial flashpoint, an intense emotional experience relating to money. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So uh, what's been, but uh, before we hop in, what's been going on with you, Ron? Yeah, well, one interesting news item from the last couple of weeks, and we try to keep our episodes and our content evergreen, so it doesn't really matter when you listen to it. But just one kind of quirk of financial markets, in the last couple of weeks, the Tesla car company stock price has just been absolutely going bonkers. It went up something like, I don't know, 300% in less than a year and went as high as like $900 or something. And I think as of now, the stock price is trading around $700, which is like, yeah, three times what it was this time last year, give or take. I might not be exactly right on that, but some people have made a ton of money on Tesla share prices just skyrocketing. So an interesting video I saw lately was, uh, I think she must be 19 years old, um, a college student who was day trading Tesla during one of her college courses, which on the one hand, (laughs) I found kind of amusing. Um, I used to teach some undergrad finance and accounting classes. And if one of my students had been day trading during class, I probably would have been more impressed than anything and said, wow, <laughs> you know, good for you. you take, you're taking some of our discussion of financial markets and actually applying it by purchasing stock of whatever. Tesla, Tesla might not be accessible by every college student at $700 or so right now. And of course, that can always go down. You could lose a lot of money. So this, this student showed that she had made something like six, $7,000 in a single day. And that was pretty impressive. So on the one hand, that's great. But a feature of the markets, I wouldn't say it's a bug. It's a feature of the markets is that they do go down at the same time. Although it tends to go up more often than it goes down. You never know when it's going to go down. So exactly. You know, at one point, Tesla was hitting over 900, Mm -hmm. right? 900 a share. And within two days, it had dropped to 700. So if you were one of those people that were like, oh my gosh, I'm going to buy Tesla right now, when it hit 
800, 850, you know, because, you know, you are now on the tail end of, of that catch more than likely. I mean, we have no idea. I mean, hindsight's the only thing that we can learn from. Mm-hmm. And so if you were buying that at, you know, 800, 850, then, you know, within the next two days, you would, you would have lost money, which is, again, one of the reasons why you can't, why it, okay, why it is not ever suggested to invest in one singular stock. Now, if you're buying, you know, little stocks, small stocks, because you just want to see them go up and down for a while and you just have some extra money or what have you, you know, it can be kind of fun to do those kind of things. I think I have the Robinhood app and I think I have $20 fully invested in it and I have like a, a stock of uh, Snapchat Okay. And I did buy it when it was I think 14.50 a share and I think last I checked it was up to 17, so sell sell sell. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Making the big bucks. But you know it's it, again when whenever we talk about investments and retirement we're always talking about for the long haul and we're talking about a little more safe aspects of how you use your money to retire. But anyway, there's so much potential dysfunction that happens when you're investing in the stock market and day trading. And I don't mean in any sort of condescending way towards this student or anyone else who might have made some money or lost some money on the Tesla activity lately. Or And this can apply to any time in market history. Uh, late in 2017, everyone was talking about Bitcoin because it was just going up and up and up and up and up. And there was kind of a mania about it. And that's that's, again, that's kind of one of the things that happens in markets where sometimes there's no really logical explanation in the moment for why something might be going up or going down. So no, uh, I don't know, no judgment here on, on this college student. She had kind of a funny video and a lot of people were just giving her a hard time in the comments about, well, I, I honestly hope that she just gets wrecked by this financial decision, but really she's she's learning um maybe she will make poor decisions in the future but if you're a college student and you're interested in markets the best way you can learn about it and be humbled by it is to actually you know participate so it's a it's a good lesson you don't want to get too much into the hype side of things because at some point you will lose if you're trying to do it on a short-term basis but hopefully over time markets especially in the United States but you want to I don't know be diversified globally as well that's not that's not something we want to get into today but I thought it was just an interesting kind of current event but it's a current event that repeats itself that happens over and over again across you know centuries of of market history yeah anyway so a little more pertinent banter getting into the the talk of financial flashpoints. I do remember one of my financial flashpoints was when I purchased a bike when I was around nine or 10 years old. But in order to do this, you know, I had to come up with the money, which is a very good lesson for parents to teach their children is, hey, if you want something, you know, save your money for it. And while uh, the bike that I wanted was $100 and at an allowance of about $3 a week, uh, you know, I, I did the math in my head and I could tell you that it'd probably take what, 19 years to get that. I'm kidding. That's not that's not good math. Anyway. It could if you spend it quickly. <laughs> that's very true. To a nine or ten year old though, saving your three dollars a week for multiple, multiple weeks would take in in an again nine and ten year olds' eyes forever. Well, it would take a type of self control that even adults don't have. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, but in order to get it, I, I decided to sell my original Nintendo. I had 
a Nintendo from the time that I was, I think, maybe like, I don't know, five, maybe. And so I had this thing for a number of years, and I had the the regular Nintendo that had, you know, the the duck hunt, the dunk. Oh my gosh, the duck hunt gun. I had the power pad. Did you ever know what a power pad was? No. Oh my gosh. So it was this big pad that you plugged into the Nintendo, and you like. And you stood on it, and you ran, and you could do, like, track and field games. And you could run in place really, 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 really fast. And your person on screen would do that. Thinking back at it, that was pretty wicked technology for, like, the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, precursor to the Wii technology. Oh, right. Yeah. See, Nintendo's just always innovating, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's not about. It's not necessarily just about graphics, which, if my buddy Peyton is listening to this episode, we've had plenty of heavy conversations about game consoles and how I think Nintendo's super innovative and creating new ways of gaming and where PlayStation and Xbox are just, you know, how can we make this look better? Which again, I no no hard against anyone who has either I have an Xbox and a Switch, but whatever. Anyway, but so this this particular instance really, really stuck with me because to sacrifice that Nintendo that I had for, you know, a few years, I mean, that was a big piece of what I was, of, of who I was as a, you know, nine, 10 year old, you know, friends would come over and we'd play these games and, and we'd have these nights and, you know, sometimes my dad would play it with me and I had to give that up in order to quote unquote move on. And so one of the things that kind of stuck with me is that in order to have something, you have to sacrifice a different piece of who you are. Whereas realistically, I could again, again, just saved the $3 for a very long time. But you know, my nine and 10 year old brain was obviously I want it and I want it now kind of thing. But you know, that stuck with me for a while. Sure. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Uh, that's what I have to contribute before we get in the meat of what this is. I've got one more psycho psychology type fun fact for you andy okay you know i've been watching my favorite new show the americans <laughs> I, I am i am on episode eight okay i did get a text from one of our listeners saying i cannot believe you haven't watched the americans yet well yeah <laughs> better late than never though so i uh i found their companion podcast to the show and i won't give away any spoilers this is all real world stuff but on one of the episodes, the podcast episodes where they go through maybe something real that influenced the show, they were talking to on their uh, it's a season four, episode three companion podcast. It's just the Americans podcast. But anyways, they had an actual FBI counterintelligence agent who was undercover trying to kind of, you know, go against the Russians during the Cold War years. And this FBI counterintelligence agent said that every six months or so, um, if you were volunteering to be one of these undercover agents trying to, I don't know, get the, the Russians to expose themselves or trying to expose them, every six months, these FBI agents would go, they would undergo um, psychological testing to make sure that they were still able to distinguish between your role that you're playing and who you really are. So some of these Ooh. undercover agents were could potentially be so deep into a cover that they wouldn't be able to distinguish between the cover that they were playing and their actual self. Oh my gosh. Isn't that wild? Oh yeah, so they weren't becoming like, what? what is it, what is it, uh... When an agent, when an agent, uh, a double agent or being something. Being a double agent? Being a double agent, yeah. Hmm. 
That's wicked, man. Yeah, completely completely voluntary. They could get out of it anytime they wanted to, but I'm sure for some, they probably experienced some major psychological ramifications oh, yeah. for being an undercover agent. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into it. Financial flashpoints. So, going back to my example, you know, having to sacrifice and move on. I I realize, and you can ask my wife this. I tend to hold on to things. Now I have a really hard time getting rid of things. Like we have an entire box in our attic right now that is dedicated to t-shirts that had sentimental value to me growing up. Not sure. kidding. And as I'm talking with you, I think I, I think to myself like that is absolutely ridiculous. But the point is, is that these things in our lives affect how we start to view things in the future. And by no means would I say that getting rid of my Nintendo to get a bike was traumatic, but it influenced the way that I viewed possessions and things that meant something to me. And that's exactly, again, what that financial flashpoint is. So, Ron, do you want to give that definition again? Sure. An intense emotional experience relating to money. So it could be positive or negative. Correct. It, it, it's just, it could be something you just remember really, really well mm-hmm. from when you were usually a child in most circumstances, because that's kind of when... Uh, trauma kind of imprints on the brain or just these flashpoints. And mm-hmm. again, they can they can be good things if you... I, I won a bike. Speaking of bikes, when I was in, I think, about fourth grade, I won a bike with pegs on the front and back. Whoa. Those trick bikes, you know, the handlebars could spin <laughs> all the way around. Yeah, I won one of those. And that's kind of a... It wasn't really a financial flashpoint for me, but it could be, and it can have a positive effect too. But we'll be talking mostly about the negative impacts today. Correct. And so in order to understand financial flashpoints a little bit better, I'd like to talk a little bit about trauma. Now, when I discuss trauma, it, it it's, I mean, trauma affects everyone so, so very differently. But from what we know about trauma, and we'll put a lot of different resources and understanding of what traumas uh, oh my gosh understandings of what trauma is in the show notes when it comes to trauma and i work with a lot of patients that have undergone trauma so i have a lot of work with people who have had very traumatic events and these could be this could be assault this could be you know i i've worked with a lot of veterans i've worked with Rape victims, rape survivors, I apologize. I have worked with people who have been assaulted in every which way possible. I've worked with women who, when they were 13, were sold by their older siblings or older parent or, or by their parents into like sex slavery. It is it is insane the amount of things that you you hear in in the intensive inpatient psych. And it's it's a no it's a no wonder why. A lot of these folks struggle so heavily with these mental health because one thing that trauma does to our lives or, or to, biologically is it is like Ron said it imprints into us so very heavily and it and it it rears its ugly head in so many different ways in our life. So if you have unresolved trauma, what your brain does when you experience something extremely traumatic, what it tries to do is it tries to repress that. It really tries to like and we can we can actually see it shrink various parts of our brain when we go through insane trauma and so what happens is that starts to repress because our brain doesn't want to deal with this really intense experience or experiences if it's ongoing trauma and so what that does for us as we grow older we start seeing trauma rear its head now think of it like this 
So what it is is think think of like a circle. If you if you draw a circle and you put trauma on it on on a piece of paper, right? Now what our brain does is they try to put like a blocker over that trauma. But what it does is it kind of starts to seep out like a like a bad odor in other different ways in our in our lives. So trauma could you know if you just get intense headaches or you get intense back pains or stomach aches, you know you can see a lot of somatic symptoms in how trauma can affect us. So, and that, and that's basically unprocessed trauma. And we'll talk about what you can do about trauma, obviously toward the end of this, but again, trauma, I think is just the, it can really, really mess us up, especially if we're ignoring that something happened or we don't even realize that something happened. I mean, when there, there are plenty of case studies about children who were intensely abused growing up that don't even remember parts of, of their childhood because, it, you know, their brain has shut those things out because they were so bad. And, and mind you also, I do want to note that, like I said, trauma affects people very differently. I've seen, I've heard people that get in these intense, almost near-death car accidents. They walk away from it. They never have any symptoms. They're perfectly fine. They get in a car the next day and they're like, it's just something that happened. And I, I've spoken with people that experience the same thing and they can never get in a car again. Or the idea of getting in a car makes them shake. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I actually, coincidentally, have experience with that. When I was in high school, I was driving a car and in South Dakota where I grew up, you could drive at an early age. Mm-hmm. And I got into an accident with my mom and my brothers in the car. I was driving and I actually didn't really have effects from it, but I I could have. My brothers and I were all really bad backseat drivers after that experience, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't at least for me personally, I was lucky. I that pr- wasn't particularly traumatic for me, but Right. It, it was it was a near death experience. It was, yeah. it was a high speed accident, and mm-hmm. it, was, it was scary. But I I don't know. At least I was lucky. Yeah. In that circumstance. And and just and just on that flip side, I like I said, I've spoken with patients that that you know even a nurse on our unit or a tech or a different employee looks like somebody who has assaulted them or has very negatively influenced their life and they can't be on the same unit as that person because that person just intensely reminds them even even just somebody who's there to try to help and it's just it's bad and there there's even things in therapy that and again we'll get to the applicable steps but obviously most people say you know you need to go to therapy in order to work through this trauma which i i I absolutely agree with and not being biased as a mental health therapist but you know if, if if therapists aren't trained really well in working with people in their therapy there have been plenty of instances where therapists have actually re-traumatized people because in order in order to work with trauma you have to take baby steps of kind of bringing that trauma to the surface to be able to process it and talk through it and if it's not done in a very healthy manner you again you can re-traumatize people as well yeah and we'll get to the financial part of it too but Andy isn't there also a way in which trauma that imprinting process you can vividly remember parts of it while at the same time your brain is kind of trying to block things out so on the one hand it's your brain is trying to forget something but it's also trying to remember certain parts of it so that 
you can avoid it so that your brain can can give you warning signs in the future am i am i off base no exactly that? when when we have events in our lives and this is what i believe the the stress hormone cortisol does for us when we have stressful events in our lives what happens is cortisol is released and it'll imprint in our minds so then we are better prepared that when we see that similar situation again we try not to repeat it so yeah our brain naturally does that for us now again trauma is when it it imprints so heavily and it becomes very negative in our lives let's look at the specific application with financial um, our personal finances here so people can experience trauma. They can experience financial flashpoints that influence them for many, many years to come. And the more traumatic the flashpoint, the more serious the lasting effects. Most of my notes that I have regarding financial flashpoints are from the book Mind Over Money by Brad and Ted Klontz. We've referred to Dr. Brad Klontz quite a bit, and we've already talked about this book specifically, but it's one of the only resources out there that's kind of accessible to the public in an easy-to-read way that actually talks about this topic. So financial flashpoints is a Klontz term. I don't think it's trademarked or anything like that. (laughs) But most of my discussion points are from the book. If I don't say that explicitly going forward, you can just assume it, at least on some of the talking points that I have. Well, in an example, do you, do you have any examples ready of like what he talks about in the book yes. of how financial flashpoints happen and how they affect people? Yeah, well, I do have I have four examples. I don't know if we'll get to all of them, but here here is one example from the book. Here's someone whose adoptive family. So this person was adopted adopted into a loving but very dysfunctional family. So I think this is a she. Yes, it is. So she says, my father was a happy drinker. He wasn't ever abusive, but he could certainly tie a drunk on. My mother was, I think, an undiagnosed manic depressive. She'd be fine one minute, and then the next she was horribly depressed, telling us we were about to lose our house, and she didn't know where the money was going to come from. I remember, even as a young child, feeling very fearful that if if the family ran out of money, they'd send us away again, me or my sister or both of us, even if we managed to stay together we might lose our house and everything we had because we didn't have enough money. So here's someone who is adopted. She's very, very worried about potentially going to another home, another family again. So you can easily see how, you know, with a, a mother, adoptive mother who's got some depression symptoms, kind of some manic symptoms, and then a father who has problems with alcohol and getting some of those, well, we can't afford this type of messages early on you could easily see why this could have effects for this particular person for a long time. Right. One of the ones that always sticks out to me and cause often we always think about like, well, people with money problems have a tendency to overspend and blah, 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 blah. We always, we always say, well, if you have money problems, you should just fix them. And one of the ones that stuck with me with the mind over money was, I believe they talked about this gal who lost her husband in the world trade center bombings it's pretty close to the beginning of the book i believe but you know when when this gentleman when passed in in the 9-11 bombings which i'm sure we we all remember pretty well and and by bombings obviously we mean the the terrorist attack so i'm sorry (laughs) i miss i misspoke anyway the point was is that this man perished and this woman was left with you know a a good amount of money i mean he he did well for himself and and she was definitely taken care of but she just felt so terrible about having this money she almost felt like it was blood money 
And I, I believe she she ended up spending, you know, millions of dollars over the course of a very short amount of time. And, it, you know, just because she, she would have rather had her husband, not not the money. And so she felt so guilty about having that. So that's how that trauma can really affect the way that we spend our money. From the book, financial flashpoints can, in part, explain why we do irrational things with our money. So here's a direct quote from Mind Over Money. Many people think that problems with money stem from ignorance about the complicated field of personal finance, and they wrongly believe that the solution lies in gathering more information, collecting more tips and strategies for budgeting and investing later. However, for the majority of us, a lack of information is not the problem. More advice telling us to save more or spend less is not going to help. The poor woman who wanted to spend all of that insurance claim money from losing her husband, financial you know, tips about saving. Well, you need to save it. You should invest that money. It's not going to make one bit of difference when... You'd be missing the boat heavily yeah, yep, yep. and working with this woman if yeah. you just told her to save her money. Yeah. Uh, one of the interesting things about money is, and this is why we are doing this show, is because it has such a strong connection and tie to all of our physical and emotional needs. There's some type of monetary connection to us, which is why money has such a hold on us, I think, sometimes. Um, Another quote from the book, money is one of the only things that touches on and impacts each and every one of our needs. Plus, since money is concrete and measurable in a way that our needs, like love, security, and attention, are not, it can easily become so closely linked to our emotional needs that we can't separate the two. So money is something we can measure. It's wrapped up in all of our physical, emotional needs. So when you can't really tangibly measure those needs, that's we, why we can tend to compare ourselves to others in terms of how we spend or how we save or what our net assets might be. And that's kind of in a nutshell why we get so wrapped up in money and then why a financial flashpoint can be so devastating potentially because it can just make your brain do some crazy things. Right. You know, it, it's funny when you, anytime anyone talks about comparing themselves to another person, I always think of the psychologist Albert Ellis. And I believe, I hope we've talked about him before because he is, he, he uh, pioneered what's called REBT or Rational Emotive Behavioral Therapy. And it deals a lot with challenging irrational beliefs, identifying what needs are being met by people's actions. One of the things that he talks about, because we, you know, show of hands, show of hands in our podcast world, how many people think they should be doing this or should be doing that, or I should be putting this money where I should be. I mean, we, we do this thing and he coined the terms, stop shooting your pants all the time because it's not healthy for you and start looking more inwardly about what you can do and why you are reacting the way that you are to these certain situations. So stop shitting your pants, people. Okay. It's hard. That's an, that's a fun and easy one to remember. <laughs> I just, <I> just kind of <laughs> like it. Uh, can I provide another example yeah. from our book here? Mm-hmm. Quote, my third brother died shortly after he was born. During the delivery, my mom kept telling the nurse, there's something wrong, there's something wrong. By that time, she'd been through eight deliveries, so she had some idea when things weren't right. The nurse called the doctor, but he was at the country club playing golf. He didn't make it to the hospital until it was too late, and so my brother died. A month later, the doctor came out to our house in his brand new Thunderbird. My father and I were out in the yard. 
The doctor got out of the car and he told my father to pay his bill or he was going to make sure that my father went to jail. My parents' sense was this man's need to play golf had killed my brother. So my father grabbed the doctor and threw him up against the Thunderbird and said, you do whatever you want, but if you continue to pursue me about this bill, I will kill you. He opened the door, threw his skinny little doctor into the seat and slammed the door. A little bit later, that message followed me all the way through my life. I grew up with the idea that the rich are greedy and they really don't care about people. I grew up believing that money had become their god. I decided that money didn't matter and what I needed to do was just work hard, do a good job, and be known for that. Yeah. I I, I mean, just like that, that one event shaped this person's view of money and, and of people in society. And, and and I'm sure, like, let's say this guy, you know, had he accumulated a decent amount of wealth, like, he could have felt guilty about having that. And and by no means should we be squandering what we have. We should be very grateful and, and, and fortunate to have what we have. And if you can, give back. I mean, that's always good. Yeah, and we will distinguish financial flashpoints from something called money scripts. And I'm not sure if we've really talked about money scripts in detail, but our financial flashpoints, those things that happen to us that are kind of imprinted on us, can lead to these beliefs and these things that we tell ourselves or these ideas that we develop about money, which are called scripts. So I think maybe maybe even our very next episode that we do will be more about money scripts, those things you, you just hold on to that might come out of a financial flashpoint traumatic experience but we'll look we'll continue to explore how these flashpoints can influence our beliefs and our money scripts and two two very common money scripts and i'm sure people have in their in their heads and if you don't that's fine obviously why would that not be fine of course it is i don't have to say that what a wasted like eight seconds ten seconds (laughs) <laughs> I, I wasn't honestly listening super closely to you just now. So That's fine. Half the time when we're recording these episodes, if Ron is giving a really good example of something, I'm like recording it and sending it on Snapchat, of which then some of the listeners tell me to do certain things, such as one of my buddies, Mike, is like, one of my favorite things about your podcast is when you confuse Ron with movie quotes that he doesn't understand. <laughs> That was a good one. I think I think I just never need to just never watch Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or Willy Wonka. I I, I don't want to belabor this. <laughs> anyway, where were we going with this? Oh, two know. common money scripts, right? Are all rich people are greedy and you're poor because you're lazy. Mm-hmm. Which first off, black and white thinking is is not advisable. At all, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to money. I mean, there is so much, there's so much gray area to this kind of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, we can get into those two. We, ugh, we can get into those in a later episode. So do we want to talk about some applicable things that we can do, how we can work with our trauma? How can we work with our financial flashpoints? I think we can get there. I would like to share at least one more yeah, example. Absolutely. And then, then there's a really good quote. We've talked about the brain's response to trauma, but there's a really good quote here from from Mind Over Money that is worth sharing. Yeah. So I'll share my one more example because I think this is a it's a it's a great example, but it's an absolutely just it's a horrific story, and you just really feel a lot of compassion for um, this person that was in this situation. So here is a story from Denise. 
She says, my father started and developed a very successful business, and he uses the fruits of his labor to reward us kids. Every Christmas, after all the gifts have been opened, he brings out his uh, quote-unquote fancy box. That's the real centerpiece of the family gift-giving, and it's been that way since I was a child. Inside the box are envelopes with checks inside addressed to each one of us kids, or not. Because I'm a girl and because I'm not directly involved in the family business, sometimes there's no envelope for me. Or... There might be an envelope with my name on it, but my brothers each get several envelopes. As the envelopes are opened, the amount of the check is announced to all assembled. My check is always the smallest. Last Christmas, my brothers got $300,000 checks, but there was no envelope with my name on it. Of course, I've taken a few lessons from this. Money equals love, and whoever gets the most money is loved the most. I also learned that money can be used to control and humiliate others. Those lessons have affected my life all my life. Like that is a that's a just a that's heartrending story geez. and an awful awful thing to do to your kids. Oh my gosh! That yeah, that's that that that's unacceptable behavior. Yeah, and you, and you wonder you don't know you never know someone's story. You just you just never know. Everyone's fighting a losing battle in some way. Everyone's dealing with something, and advice is 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 well intended most of the time, and trying to help people with their money, you know, a lot of, a lot of good advice out there, but, but when you've got a barrier like this, there's just, there's just not much that basic financial advice can do for you. So that's, that's what we're here for. Absolutely. So what is the, what's the quote you got? Yeah. Okay. So we talked about the brain's response to trauma, how there can actually be physical changes, parts of your brain from the book, the prefrontal cortex, hippocampus, etc., can actually be reduced in size because of traumatic events over time, etc. So a really good quote from Mind Over Money is, the point we want to stress is this, the changes in the brain caused by trauma are real. As such, behavioral manifestations of trauma are not caused by a failure of will, nor are they a sign of weakness. They are expected, predictable, normal, biologically based responses to the painful events we all experience at one time or another. So it's a an encouragement to say your response to a horrible situation, whether it's a financial trauma or any sort, is is predictable in a sense. It's it's understandable and it's very rational given your circumstances. And that's an idea we've talked about before. And I think that's probably a good launching point into, okay, what can we do about it? It's a tough situation to experience some kind of trauma, financial trauma. What can we begin to do about it? Because the good news is you can begin to to heal from it. You can begin to unwind some of the harm that's been done. Absolutely. So just a heads up before we get into the applicable things, just know that a lot of these things are very therapy based because we're dealing with the trauma. We're dealing with the incidents that cause these financial beliefs, these financial issues and how we view our money. And so when you can get to the root cause of why we do those things, then you can start to heal and move from that. So again, because trauma comes in at us in all forms and because situations all affect us differently treatment approaches can be wildly different it can be anywhere from just talking to a friend like hey there's this really crappy thing that happened to me could i just get this off my chest to a process called emdr which don't ask me what it is it's something eye movement 
No, Ron was just moving into the mic like he was about to ask me what it is after I said distinctly not to. Anyway, EMDR is basically a process of what it does. Essentially, it com- it helps combine both halves of the brain in this eye movement or tapping uh, function to help kind of resurface trauma. Uh, also, to something as deep as like med management for just, you know, because trauma can give you extraordinarily uh, heavy anxiety, depression, what have you. So everything that we suggest is is going to be very different. Knowing that we did, I was fortunate to be able to meet with my supervisor, Mike, the other night, and he had a couple other therapists there with him. And it was very cool. There was a Dr. Tyler and a Carlene and Dr. Tyler specifically works at the Boys Town National Research Hospital as a research psychologist working in trauma and working to see how they can utilize different techniques to help people with their trauma. And he stated that the most evidence-based therapeutic approaches right now are trauma-focused CBT and DBT. He also talked about this problem-solving technique that can be utilized. So this is something that you can do right away. This isn't something that you necessarily need to have a therapist for, but he called it SODAS. So the acronym S-O-D-A-S, and that stands for Situation, Options, Disadvantages, Advantages, and Solutions. So when you're faced with a situation, you weigh the options, and then you come up with the disadvantages of those options, you come up with the advantages of those options, and then the solution moving forward. And that apparently has been shown to be very effective when dealing with certain events more traumatic events in our lives or people who have experienced trauma dealing with the future manifestations of what that trauma does for us. Basically, it really helps with like emotional regulation and what have you. So those are those are good therapeutic approaches. So if you're looking for a therapist to work with you on that, look for somebody who specializes or who has a lot of experience in, in trauma-focused CBT and again, DBT. Now, again, I've said it before, with processing trauma, if you're doing it with somebody who doesn't have a lot of experience or somebody who's not very confident in their abilities, then be careful with that because if they're not good at working with people with trauma, it can sometimes re-traumatize people. Sure. I kind of hes- hesitate to offer up actionable steps here because this is a tough subject and you've got the actual experience here. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have some points, but yeah. you can, you tell me if there's any way that they could be uh, potentially dangerous, like, yeah. like bringing it up again in a way that could be more harmful than mm-hmm. helpful. But uh, j- one idea, and I, I think this is just, it's, it is a helpful one almost a hundred percent of the time, just recognizing that you are separate from your emotions and your automatic thoughts, um, separating the problem from the person and, Again, these are ideas from Mind Over Money and just general counseling type practices. But the problem and the person are completely separate. And I think that can be comforting to know that whatever your responses to something might be, um, whatever your a tough memory might be, it's not, you know, the, the classic goodwill hunting line. It's not your fault. And it's that's not what defines you as a person. Absolutely. That is a that is a really good approach to is understanding that the things that have happened to you, again, don't define who you are. They're things that have happened to you and you are bigger than that. One of the other things that we've 
try to help people when it comes to trauma is to desensitize them to the physiological symptoms. You can do that through something called paradoxical intention. comes from uh, logotherapy or more existential therapy coined by Dr. Viktor Frankl, who was a... He survived the concentration camps, and he actually wrote the book Man's Search for Meaning, which I very, very highly recommend that everyone in the history of the planet reads. It is an extraordinarily good read. It is a very short read. It is a book of like, what, 150 pages? It's a really small book. I think you can get it on Amazon for like seven bucks. Yep. You know, and, and it is all it is is it talks about the it's part one where it is about his experience in the concentration camps and then basically about this logo therapy. So what paradoxical intention does is it helps what it does is a therapist makes an emotion happen in their client. Like if, if they really struggle with this particular emotion that that brings on a lot of physiological symptoms, essentially you, you allow them to experience that and to desensitize them because it's a, it's a paradox that you can't experience multiple emotions at the same time. And it can be something that you could look for as well. Again, these are, I, I, I know we always try to really aim to be able to provide you, the listener with, <laughs> with, applicable steps that you yourself can do on your own but truly when it comes to trauma when it comes to financial flashpoints that is really a lot of stuff that you have to deal with a professional with a lot of the time because it is so intense and because again peeling back those layers of trauma can be so traumatizing in and of itself that it's good to have a professional there to work with you the the problem solving method that the <laughs> Words are just not coming today. I can do it. I can do it. But when it comes to the problem-solving technique, I think or that is something that you yourself can start right away with. A good example of that paradoxical intention from Man's Search for Meaning that I've thought about frequently since I read that a couple of years ago is for people who have trouble falling asleep. And sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and I just stay awake. So... One good example is for someone who might have trouble sleeping to use a paradoxical intention of, well, I'm just going to try to stay awake as long as I possibly can. And I thought that was a really good example because because then it helps your brain kind of slow down and recognize, all right, the thing that you're trying to do, fall asleep, paradoxically by trying to stay up as long as you possibly can, can help your brain adjust better and actually potentially help you fall asleep better. Absolutely. And you could you could just recoin that as what we call radical acceptance as a part of the dialectical behavioral therapy. Just accepting the fact that, okay, you know what? I'm not going to fall asleep if I focus so much on it and I worry about it. And like, okay, how, how many people do that out here where you're like, okay, if I fall asleep now, then I can still get about five and a half hours of sleep. Okay, if I fall asleep now, I can get three hours of sleep. And you, you actually cause a, a hypersensitive awareness of your emotions and you start really churning your brain and it goes, goes, goes. Whereas what Ron was talking about is if you just accept it and you say, hey, this is something that's happening. I might as well embrace this. Let's go with it. You might just start to feel drowsy soon after that. Sure. I've got just a couple more basic ways to help with financial flashpoints. Um, exploring your family history. And this could be something that, like Andy was mentioning, a therapist could help you through. And it could be something you do on your own. But again, you want to be careful with how you approach these things. But finding the source of a financial flashpoint, noting the emotions associated with it, 
bringing up those significant memories, what is the source of it? Because in a way, you probably have to address it somehow. So that can be one way to do it with a therapist, with a friend, whatever might work best depending on the severity of it. And then just being able to try to apply meaning to the financial flashpoint. So if you can say, well, this this came out of it, not not to say that the event itself was good because it wasn't, but maybe the things that you learned as a result of it, being able to apply some type of meaning and saying this this made me stronger, that doesn't mean the event in its in and of itself was good. I think that's a fine line you got to be careful with when dealing with bad things that have happened to people. You don't ever want to say, no, it, it was good that that happened. Never. <laughs> it, it's not good that it happened, but you can you can derive meaning from it in a way that can, I don't know, help help you with how you approach it internally, how you talk to yourself and other people, etc. Absolutely. So I know we've talked a lot about how working through trauma is probably a little bit more therapy oriented or psychiatry oriented if it's if it's pretty severe. And ways that you can find a mental health therapist right off the top of my head, if you go to psychologytoday.com, you can search your area and search for the kind of therapist that you need. Another thing is we have, uh, I have a friend, his name's Dr. Justin Romano. He's a psychiatrist that I've worked briefly with at Lasting Hope. And he and another friend of his who is also a therapist have a podcast called the Millennial Mental Health Channel. And they have a whole episode dedicated to finding a therapist and what that looks like. So I'd highly recommend that you that you maybe give that a listen. I think it's like a half hour episode. We can also link to that in the show notes. Got another quote here trying to wrap this up a little bit from Mind Over Money. You can ch- change your financial flashpoint memories, not erase them, but profoundly alter their meaning and emotional impact on your life. So the good news is there are ways you can begin to, like we've mentioned, unwind some of the hardship that's happened and the ways that it's affected you financially. It doesn't have to be your reality going forward. It could take a lot of time. It could take very, very small steps, but it can be done. Absolutely. So uh, my ending thing, I want to say if you have a, what's called a financial therapist in your area and you're really struggling with getting your money and your spending under control and you can acknowledge that maybe there's some things that a financial advisor maybe can't do for you or maybe a therapist, uh, you'd rather have somebody a little bit more focused around money, you can search for financial therapy. There are counselors that specialize more in the financial aspects. I know Ron and I, eventually we are going to open our own practice here in Omaha as financial therapist, me being the mental health side of things, him being the more financial strategizing side of that. So there's a shameless plug for our future business. <laughs> yeah. Hey, nothing wrong with that. Anyway. If if any of you want to reach out and share a story, you know, we can keep all details anonymous certainly but an example of a financial flashpoint or our next episode is going to be about money scripts again those beliefs that might have originated from a financial flashpoint regardless um, money scripts just the beliefs and ideas that we hold about money like rich people are are bad you know there's virtue in being poor or i can never 
you know, I, could, I should never ever spend money on X. Any type of money beliefs that you might have grown up with, if you want to send us examples of those, we would love to be able to discuss them on our next episode. So moneyandthemind at gmail.com if you want to shoot something our way. Yeah, you can also go to our website, moneyandthemind.com. We have all of our episodes posted there. We have some blog posts written by our one and only Ron. He is an excellent writer. But yeah, reach out to us. Let us know. Talk to us. Let's keep this conversation going. If you like the show, share it with a friend. Give it a five-star review on iTunes. That helps us, helps more people find the show. Otherwise, I think that'll do it for today. Thank you for listening to Money in the Mind.